0: Okay, I've got so many thoughts that I don't know where to start right now, so I'm just going to start. It's going to be random for the first five minutes, and if that lasts the whole time, I apologize. (laughs) The first one is, did you guys hear what Sue said? She said, I was doing the will of God when I was raising those kids, and nothing else was really happening. And I just want to pause for a minute and speak to those of you who are in the middle of raising kids. I want to speak to those of you who aren't raising kids. And I recognize that for some of you, that is a grief. And I want to acknowledge that. And yet, as we do life together, we can't allow the fact that something causes grief for me, then I can't celebrate it with someone else. And so as a body, we grieve and we celebrate together. It's part of the tension. And those of you who are in the midst of raising children, you have a high and holy calling. and every gift that you give to those children. is a gift at the foot of the cross and at the throne of Jesus. And you are doing the will of God, even though you feel like nothing else is happening besides diapers and dinners and laundry and sweeping. And will this stage ever grow up? (laughs) (laughs) And I also want to say this. Undoubtedly, those of you with really little ones have heard people like me with a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old, say something completely insensitive like, oh, just wait, it gets busier. I'm sorry. Please forgive us. And here's what I want to say. We forgot. When you get to a place where your kids are 13, 11, and 8, you forget what it feels like. To have a human being physically dependent upon you for their every need. And you get caught up in, I'm running to soccer and I'm running here and I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I feel like it's, and, and hmm, sorry, this is recorded and there are certain things I can't say. Yeah, can. <laughs> no. <laughs> not, not and honor my children. <laughs> Things start happening that you don't know how to parent, and they're different stressors than when they're babies. And so at at an unprotected moment, you pop off to somebody who has an infant, and you say, just wait, it gets harder. And the person with the infant is going, please, dear Jesus, tell me that isn't true. I can't do anymore. And I just want to say, the harder is a different type of challenge. It's a parenting challenge to know how do I walk with this young person who is on the cusp of becoming an adult, and I don't know how to help them know what they need to know. It's that kind of a harder. But it's not that they are physically dependent on me. Um, my children can walk themselves home from school and be home for an hour without me. Your world will get there. <laughs> um, I just Sue, I loved what you said, that I was doing the will of God even though it looked like nothing was happening. Kim, I loved what you said. You came with an idea of what God was going to call you to encourage. But really, as, as he and his mercy exposed what it was that he wanted to be working in you and healing in you, it was a different path than what you expected, and potentially a harder path, but one that you're willing to embrace because you sense his love in leading you onto the path. Thank you. Thank you. I just feel like we've had so many great voices speaking into this weekend. Um, can you join me in thanking our speaking team and our workshop leaders? See if I can get this up closer so he doesn't have to make it, have feedback in order for you guys to hear me. Is that a little bit better, David? Okay. Brittany, thank you for sharing, honestly. I don't know where you went. You were sitting in Laura's seat, now I can't find you. Thank you. Um, as you told your story, I thought, man, I don't have time. That's not really an answer we want to hear, is it? Um, And yet, in God's timing, he is doing what he needs to do. And while my first few answers were, that isn't something I feel called to, my third answer was, yes. And the timing had shifted for me, and the timing had shifted for her, and she didn't know what she was waiting for. And I actually didn't know that she was waiting as expectantly, because sometimes communication isn't as clear as we think it is. Um, And yet, God is moving something and working something in his timing, and I'm all right if it's forever. I like you. it's a good thing. It's a good thing. One of the most special things for me at the Stations of the Cross yesterday um, was the was it um, was the one where the little keys were hanging, and it, I had been reading that you know he holds the keys, and I had been processing what my nail was and holding that up to Jesus and how did, that, how did that cause dirt in my life that I needed him to see and cleanse and just walking through the process that many of you walked through. And I got to that one and I was sitting I was thinking about him with the keys, but it wasn't really hitting home. And I looked up and here was this set of keys hanging there. And I just fixated on that set of keys for a while. And this truth just began to seep into my soul that he really does have the keys for what I'm going through. He really does have the healing power for what it is that I'm laying before him. When he, when he lets things percolate to the surface in our life, it's because he wants to bring it into the light so that it can come up and out and he can heal it and we can be transformed and walk with life moving forward in a different way than we were moving before. And that's the hope of this morning. That's the hope of where we're headed. That's the hope. It's that when we walk in courage, what we're doing is we're walking in attention We are walking in the tension between the awareness that we have of our brokenness and the reality that we know that we sang this morning that I am set free because... He is the one with the keys, not because I was smart enough to figure it out and connect the dots and put all the pieces together, but because he is the one with the keys. I can still see that image of the keys in my head, and that image has so much truth that's communicated to my right brain that I really can't put to words, which I know is pretty amazing to you because I have a lot of words. (laughs) He holds the keys. So what we want to do this morning is look at what does it look like when we walk in courage every day. And I want to read a quote that many of you heard because Diane was using it in her workshop yesterday as she talked and you guys discussed how do we move forward and dream again when we've had loss in our life. And I love this one that was from her late husband, Mike. And he was talking with a friend who was hesitant about following her dreams, as I understand the quote correctly. And he said, you have a dream, follow it. Do not let the fear of the past or the unknown of the future stop you from moving forward. I want you to hear that again. Do not let the fear of the past or the unknown of the future stop you from moving forward. Will you be the one who sits in the stands and just watches? Or will you get in the game and make positive things happen? You have a gift. It is useless if you don't share it. Get in the game and make things happen. See, I have a dream and my dream involves you because the picture that I see that is a beautiful picture is women rising up to not only accept themselves for how they were created but embrace themselves for how they were created and believe that how they were created has a gift that must be given to the world or the world will be at a loss because what we were created to give was not given. Because either out of fear or whatever else we bumped into this weekend, we refuse to to put our real selves on the line and put it out there because it feels too vulnerable. And the world around us loses out hugely because we don't bring the beauty that God created us to bear for the people around us. My husband will say to our boys, you have been given a strength by God and we use our strength to bless others. That phrase comes out when there's fighting and somebody's gotten punched and, hey, use your strength to bless others. (laughs) That comes out when you're having a conversation about what's going on at school and you say, hey, you have an opportunity to use your strength to bless others. And I want to say to you, you can use your strength, you can use your beauty to bless others. What does it look like? When we look at the life of Jesus, and this is by no way an exhaustive list, this is just some of the things that have come to my mind over the course of preparing for this. Um, One of the things that we do when we live in everyday courage is that we live in the tension. And I mentioned that just a second ago, and it's where we started, actually. Um, In John 16, verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Another... um, Version says, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we have this tension between Jesus, who is saying you may have peace, and he's saying in the world you're going to have trouble, And I've overcome the world. And we live in that tension because his overcome is done and it is set for all eternity. But you and I still live in the place where there's trouble, many trials and sorrows. And living with courage is embracing that there will be tension between the brokenness in my life and the fact that I'm set free. Between the me that God created me to be and the me that I am well practiced at putting forward to keep myself safe. The tension between Jesus as the overcomer and me as the sinner. The tension between there is no condemnation, but there is conviction when God is wanting us to walk in obedience. There is a tension in being a Christ follower. There is a mystery in learning to follow the Lord. And walking in courage has to embrace that I won't always understand what this looks like, but I will walk in the courage and I will bring my awareness present with Jesus. Let me explain. I think a lot of times we feel like when we become aware of something, that the reason we're aware of it is so that we can fix it. And that can lead to panic and despair and anxiety because we don't know how to fix it. And then we kind of careen because we don't know how to fix it, and then it pushes our buttons, and then we're into our insecurities because I don't know how to live the way I want to live. I want to be over there, but I don't know how to get there. And if, when we become aware, rather than taking it on ourselves and saying, okay, I have to fix this, We take our awareness and like a child who's bringing maybe a a broken toy. You ever had a kid who you gave something for Christmas and like within a day they dropped it and they, they bring you this broken toy and they're just heartbroken and they can't fix it and so they come to mom or dad and here's my broken toy and we come like that to God with our awareness. Remember last night I was mentioning that when I was running competitively I wasn't nice to myself? We need to learn to be nice to ourselves with our awarenesses. That when the Holy Spirit shines his light on something that we need courage for, that's not an opportunity to beat ourselves up. That's an opportunity to take that gentle noticing, that awareness of, oh, I hadn't seen that in myself before, and that's kind of ugly, and I don't like that part of me. And we take that awareness, and we just say, Jesus, this is what I'm seeing right now. And that's all. It's not, Jesus, do this, that, or the other thing. Or, Jesus, I know I need to do this because. Or, I know, it's It's not trying to, f- sometimes with our prayers, we're trying to figure it out and tell Jesus that we know what it is we need to do and would he help us. <laughs> and walking in courage, living in that tension, means taking that gentle noticing, the things that we become aware of, lifting them up to the Father, and just being present with him in the fact that we're stuck. And that is a courageous place to sit I don't really know what to do but I'm not going to do it alone and I'm not going to push God away and I'm going to admit it whether that's writing it in a journal or saying it verbally I'm going to admit that I have a need that I don't know how to fix and God I'm offering that up to you it's just courageous to sit with him there If you watch the life of Jesus, you see that it takes courage to speak the truth. Jesus was not afraid of speaking the truth, and he spoke it in love, but he spoke the truth, and he had a passion for righteousness. And he lived a life that challenged the religious and cultural norms of the day, and that was loving. And many of us, myself included, go, man, that was harsh. I mean, I didn't even like it that Sarah said you had to be present to win, let alone... (laughs) Let, although that was my rule, just to be clear, because it just gets too messy if you don't have to be present to win. Um, let alone Jesus turning over the tables or telling the religious rulers of the day that they're whitewashed tombs with vipers in their throats. I mean, and yet this was his passion for righteousness, and he saw clearly, and he saw truth, and he spoke with courage. And there are places that you and I need to challenge the norms that the people in our world are living according to because they're not according to the word of God. And we need to lean on the Lord for what those conversations look like. We need to lean on him for what does speaking the truth in love look like. And we need to know, we need the wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent. I've heard somebody talk about um, having some chips. And your chips are kind of your influence. And with the people in our world, we have a certain number of chips And we can run out. And we need to consider, what are we spending our chips on? Am I just tossing a couple chips every day at little nitpicky things? Or am I saving up my chips for the hill I want to die on to say, you know what? I really feel like this is important in our life or in our marriage or in the way that I want to follow Christ or in the way that I I see. I mean, there are people in our life that we need to have the courage to speak the truth to. And we need to recognize that we have chips And we need to save those chips and use them in the way that God has called us to use them and not spend them out. Um, The only word that comes to mind, and I'm sorry, is kind of piddling them away one by one without really using the influence that God had given us, which is our tongue and the power to encourage and build up. Um, If you've ever done the peacemaking seminar, they talk about how to do this, how to have conversations when we are confronting someone in love. And I can't teach you the whole seminar, but one of the main points is to recognize the interest of the person that you're talking to, to recognize what is underneath their opinion and their view of this. What is the the emotional motivating factor for the reason they feel so strongly about this? And as you approach them about the thing that God is convicting you that you really need to speak the truth on this, that speaking it in love is being able to express, I see you, I recognize that this is important to you because of X, Y, Z, and have you thought about it this way? Have you looked at it this way? We need to have the courage to speak the truth in love. I wish I had a really good example for that, just practically speaking, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, Another one as you watch the life of Christ is that he had the courage to be an agent of God's healing and hope. He knew God's heart. He knew the Father's will. And I want to point out to you that he didn't know it because he was God. Okay? Here's the deal. Jesus was 100% God and he was 100% man. And if we think that the reason he was able to live his life the way he lived his life on earth was because of his divinity, because he was God, and so he knew things miraculously or supernaturally because he was God, then you and I cannot follow him. You and I cannot be a reflection of him because we are not God. So if he knew the heart of the Father because he was God then you and I cannot mirror his life and follow him in knowing the heart of God. But he says that we can follow him and that his is the life that we're to copy. And so everything that he did while he was on earth, that you and I are to follow and copy, is in his humanity. So how, in his humanity, did he know the Father's heart so well? He knew it because from a young age, he was a student of the Word. He was a student of God, and he went away to be with God, and he learned to know the Father's voice, and you and I can do the same thing. We don't have to have supernatural divine characteristics to be able to live the way that Jesus lived, and Jesus was an agent of God's healing and God's hope, and when you and I recognize that authority that's been given to us in Christ, and we engage in the world around us with the awareness of God's love for the people that are around us, and the authority over the enemy that is around us, we can begin to walk with the kind of courage and healing and hope that Jesus brought to the world around him. And it takes courage because we are about to step on a ledge that if God does not act, the ledge will fall out from under us. I've heard it said this way, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Because if God doesn't act, I will look (laughs) D-U-M-B. But when we have the courage to step out on that ledge... God has the ability to do miraculous things in the lives of people around us. And you and I have to take the risk of looking like a fool because we know that in order to be an agent of God, he has to show up. But in order for him to show up, we have to make ourselves available to be his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece. And so there may be something in your world that God is calling you to do and you're going, I don't see the end of this and I can't make that happen. And so I can't engage in that conversation or in that prayer or in that whatever it might be because I'm not the one who controls the end result. And and that's not safe. And walking in courage is, Jesus didn't say it was gonna be safe. He said he was gonna be with us. And will we believe that what he said is true And walk in courage because of his promise that he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And will we trust that he is at work even if it doesn't end the way we thought it was going to end? Let's just throw a hypothetical situation out there. Let's just say that you're a person who sometimes does some public speaking. And let's just say that every now and then, God calls you to get up in front of a group of women uh, without an outline or notes. And just says, I've given you my heart and I will give you the words when the time is right. And so, just hypothetically speaking, you stand in front of a group of women, and you open your mouth, and you're not really exactly sure what's going to come out. But you know that the Holy Spirit of the living God has asked you to be a vessel that will open her mouth so that he can speak. And over and over and over and over and over again, he shows up and speaks to heart through that vessel that did not plan what to say, think of what to say, or have that knowledge prior to the time that the Holy Spirit put it in her mouth. And to have people come up afterwards and say, God was speaking, God was moving. And I just need you to know that that's a risk every single time. And yet, because I have walked this, just take it out of the hypothetical realm, for several years now, I have learned that it is a risk worth taking. Because when I will set aside my notes and my ideas and my outline, God gets this direct channel to you and and things happen that could never happen if I was concerned with my reputation and my image and unwilling to get up on the stage until I had a nicely typed out outline. And I don't know what that looks like in your area of giftedness, but here's what I want to say. What if I go somewhere sometime And I speak what I believe God has given me, and nobody says, wow, Jennifer, God really touched my heart today. Those were the words I needed to hear. Does that mean I missed it? Does that mean it was wrong? Does that mean that I shouldn't have taken the risk that day? No, it just means that I didn't get to see the end result. (laughs) It just means that that day, some days, I get the privilege and the encouragement of knowing that the Holy Spirit's words are landing And other times, I don't get that same encouragement, but that doesn't mean the risk was not well taken. That doesn't mean I wasn't supposed to be doing it. And it doesn't mean that you aren't supposed to be taking the risk with the spiritual gifts that God has given you. Some of you are amazing encouragers, and you put yourself out there and you wonder, am I just kind of being a pest? (laughs) Some of you are amazing caregivers, and you wonder, are they going to think I'm kind of hovering Some of you are prophetic and you have words of truth for people, and you're wondering, are they gonna think I'm weird? You know, the thus saith the Lord chick. You know, some of you are creative and you create beauty, and you wonder, am I too messy? Am I too chaotic? You have a giftedness to bring, and it takes a risk to walk out that giftedness because, in order for the giftedness to come to its fullness, it's in partnership with the Holy Spirit, and the part that belongs to the Holy Spirit, we can't do. And so it's always a risk because he has to show up or it's not beauty. (laughs) So we become agents of God's healing and hope. Like we talked about last night, sometimes walking in courage means knowing when it's time to change pace. I've been running hard and it's time to slow down. Or I've been walking slow and it's time to run hard for a while. God and I have these conversations of seasons and awareness that Jennifer, this is a season and you are going to run hard and it's going to be a push and it's going to be okay because you're going to run hard for a while. And courage is knowing when it's time to change pace. Courage is knowing hmm, at home, with your kids, with the to-do list a mile long. Courage is knowing when it's time to say to your kids, You can do this, you can entertain, you can take care of it. Mommy's got things to do. And courage is knowing when it's time to set aside the to-do list and recognize this little human being that has been given to me for such a short time needs me right now. And courage is dropping the to-do list, dropping the dinner, you can have macaroni and cheese for dinner, and sitting down with that child and pulling them on your lap and reading them the story, or playing the game for the millionth time that you don't want to play. I'm really pretty tired of this Silverlicious game, if any of you have seen that one. Pinkalicious has a Silverlicious game, Tooth Fairy game. Don't, don't ever buy it for your child. <laughs> Just saying. I get emotional. This is a bonus, Uh, uh, otherwise known as a sidetrack. If you've seen the movie Up, it's the dog that goes, squirrel. Uh, I get emotional because my my oldest is 13, and and from the time they were little, uh, people told me, oh, it goes so fast. Cherish it. It goes so fast. And and I believed them. I I really, really did. (laughs) But I didn't get it. And... um, Man, when they're 13, your influence is way different than it was when they were 8 or 7 or 6. And so if you've got them at that 8 or 7 or 6, would you just pour all the influence you have into them? Because um, people are right who say, it just changes in the blink of an eye, and you just go, what just happened? Um, so I know you can't understand it till you get there, but if you just take my word for it, go home and hug them and just tell them everything you ever wanted them to know, because they'll listen now. LAUGHTER <laughs> Oh man. When we walk in courage, we know when it's time to change direction. So sometimes it's a change pace. Same direction, change pace. Sometimes it's a change of direction. Jesus would minister to certain crowds and they would just be gathering, and the next morning he would say to his disciples, Okay, we've got to go to this town. And they're like, but Jesus, like the numbers are great here. They haven't fallen yet. Our ratings are up. We're doing great. Why would we change direction right now? And Jesus had courage to recognize I have made the deposit in this town. And there's an assignment for me here. And I need to go here. And the reason that that takes courage is because sometimes we're leaving something undone over here. And we need to believe that God is God and he will nurture the seed that has been planted over here if he is calling us over here. And to release the thing that we have invested in and believed in and and quite honestly, this probably applies to our families and our children too. (laughs) When it's time to release them and entrust them to God and change direction and accept the calling, the new layer that God is asking us to do right now. That takes courage to change directions for many reasons. The courage to leave what you're turning away from and to face the unknown. Jesus spent time in his life fasting and praying. Those disciplines that where we choose to limit our own entitlement in order to focus on God and to hear from him. And there was a time in his ministry that the disciples were unable to cast out a demon. And Jesus came and spoke to it, and it went away. And they said, how come we couldn't do that? And he said, some will only respond with fasting and praying. And it takes courage to enter into some of those disciplines of the Christian life that, are, um, that, that willingly limit our rights and our entitlement. And so fasting is a courageous activity that enables us to move forward with courage in our life. Being a person of prayer is a discipline that enables us to move forward with courage. Jesus had the courage to confront evil. In his fully human state, he had the courage to confront evil. Demons did not have to respond to Jesus because he was God. Demons responded to Jesus because he was present with God, because he walked the life that God showed us how to walk, and because he prayed in the power of God after having been fasting and praying. And you and I have the same authority in Christ that Jesus had. And some of us in our lives confront evil, whether that's in the social realm that we are involved with helping people who are at need and at risk, whether that is in the mental realm where we are involved in helping people who are stuck in lies. Wherever we are, there is evil at work, and there is spiritual battle, and this is not a retreat about spiritual battle, and this is not a retreat about let's find the devil behind every bush. But this is a place about courage and saying that everyday courage involves recognizing that we have the authority to confront evil when that evil is involved in our life by the blood of Jesus, not by who we are or the purity or the rightness of our life, but by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the living God at work in us. And it takes courage to walk in that. Jesus developed close friendships. He had his disciples who he was training. He had the inner three that he was pulling in a little bit closer. And it takes courage for us to develop close friendships and have people that we do life with. And I want to pause here for just a second and offer a word, Um, let's just say I kind of have a protective heart um, over those voices that you've heard this weekend that have been very vulnerable with you, because in our lives, we have people, uh, when we are in an emotionally healthy, mature place, we have close and intimate friends in our life who are our people that we talk about the deep things in our life. And when we come to something like this, those of us who end up with a voice to speak to you recognize that if we will not lead the way and demonstrate vulnerability, then this will not be a weekend that leads to the transformation that is possible when people live unedited lives. Okay? I want to say that there is a difference between telling 250 women what our unedited issues are and needing 250 women to then be those closest intimate friends that help us walk through those issues. Does this make sense? And so, just a tiny bit of coaching on how you respond to someone who, in a testimony time, has shared something very, very deep and, and perhaps even tender to them. Um, an encouragement card or a word of encouragement or a thank you for sharing that really ministered to me is always, always welcome a, hey, you should do this, or have you thought about it this way, or God says this, and you need to do this, those aren't always so welcome. There are people, I have people in my life who are my safe people, who are the ones that I walk with when I need to cry about my issues. And I, I want you guys to know my issues because I long for us to be a community of women who will be real with each other. And in that realness, recognizing that if I don't have close friends that I can process my realness with, I need those close friends. And just because someone shared it from the front doesn't mean that I am now that close friend for them, even though there is a camaraderie and a tenderness with us. And like I said at the beginning, your words of encouragement and gratitude. Because here's the deal. When we share our stories with each other, whether you're at the microphone or at the dining room table, it is encouraging, and it is impactful. To encourage means to fill with courage. And when we share our stories and others hear how God is at work in our life, it fills others with the courage for their own lives. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that we do, and I love that. And let's just be aware of who are my close people, who are your close people, and respect um that we don't need to give each other pat answers and try to fix people. Is that fair? Not trying to create distance or some leveling thing or aloofness. Just saying, there's a vulnerability that's, that is exposed when you say it into the microphone, and it's important for us to protect that and recognize how to respond to that. Hmm. Sometimes it takes courage to seek God, because we're afraid of what he's going to say. <laughs> we've be, we've, have you ever done that? I know how to listen to God, but I'm not really spending much time listening to him because I'm kind of concerned with what he's going to say and what that's going to mean. And Jesus was one who routinely took time to go away and pray. And you know what I love? I was noticing in one of the passages that I was reading that he sent the disciples across in the boat and he went up on a mountain to pray. And I was over in Israel this year and when they say mountain, they aren't from Oregon. Um, So... Think about West Salem, and like the top of Glen Creek. Sorry if you're not from Salem. Um, maybe the top of Yola, and that's kind of a mountain when you drive through Galilee. Okay, somebody pointed out and said that's Mount Carmel. Okay, I've always pictured Mount Carmel more like Mount Hood, and it's kind of it's kind of more like um, what's the basket slough on your way to the coast? It's kind of more like basket slough. Um, A little higher than basket slew. But I love that when Jesus wanted to connect with God, he was out in nature. And for some of us, like this weekend has been for you, nature speaks to us, and so we take time to be with God and to spend time with God. Sometimes that's out in nature. Living with everyday courage means that we face and we embrace suffering. Jesus did not hide from the suffering in his life, and he did not hide from the suffering in the world. It hurts simply to see suffering. And when we're in a self protective mode, we kind of turn off and and try not to feel others' suffering or our own suffering. And Jesus didn't do that. In his living with courage, he walked closely with those who were suffering. He was an agent of God's healing and hope, and he embraced the suffering that he was called to himself. And because we still live on this broken planet, we will face trials and sufferings of many kinds. And when Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world, that doesn't mean we're not gonna feel the pain. It's that tension again. And it takes courage to walk with pain and joy at the same time. That's one of the things I'm learning. Last night I shared that in this current season of fasting from the things that I do to kind of escape and numb stuff, that it's not joy that's rising it's it's sorrow that's rising and yet every day i have pockets of joy and i know that it's good and i know that what god is doing and developing in me is important and it's powerful and it's this tension of not turning my face away from the fe- feelings of grief but also walking in Authority and freedom, and the gifting that God has given me, and the calling that He's given me, and those two things are not mutually exclusive, which I think for a lot of my life I felt like they were. If I'm suffering, then I need to fix what feels bad, and then I can go on living. And I'm finding that that isn't necessarily always what I'm entitled to. Sometimes I am called to walk with both. We engage with broken people. We, Jesus said He came to seek and save the lost. See, we're all in process. We're making progress, but it's not perfect progress. We're not called the perfect progress. We're just called to continue bringing ourselves, our true selves, into the presence of God and into the reality of the world around us. And this is walking with everyday courage. I want to end with a scripture passage. And unpack it for us a little bit. And we're going to have some worship to wind up. But I'm probably talking for another 10 minutes. Do you need to just get up and stretch? It's been a long morning to sit. Get up, stretch, turn around, say hello. And then we're going to unpack Matthew 14. If you have a Bible, you might want to look at Matthew 14. All right. We opened a couple doors. We turned on some fans to circulate some air. Okay, we're going to be all right. I heard that some coffee ran out, and that was a problem this morning. I'm sorry. Did it run out everywhere or just one building? Okay, so note to self, more coffee on Sunday morning. Has it run out? It ran out yesterday, too? Okay, so a little bit up and on the coffee for future when we have 240 women. Okay. All right. I'm going to read to us from Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, if you wanted to follow along. Matthew chapter 14, starting in 22. We are going to read through to the end of verse 33. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is a story that many of us have heard for years and years and years, because quite honestly, it's a Sunday school flannel graph story. As a matter of fact... When I was in about third, I think it was third, it might have been fourth grade, there was a particular weekend at church that I went and heard this flannel graph Sunday school story. And that particular day I happened to go home from church with a friend. I had, um, I had some great friends in church growing up and often on a Sunday afternoon because that was back in the day when you still had a Sunday evening service. Uh, we would go home with each other and then just come back to the Sunday evening service together. So this particular afternoon after the Jesus walking on the water flannel graph story, uh, she and I went home to her house. And she happened to have a pool at her house. So the plan was to swim for the afternoon. And she and I decided, with the beautiful and innocent faith of children, that if Jesus and Peter could walk on water, why couldn't we? So we proceeded to step onto the pool Time after time after time, praying that Jesus would allow us to walk on water. And we stepped from the side with our eyes open and with our eyes closed. We stepped holding hands and not holding hands. We stepped going together and going alone. We stepped trying to pray. I don't know how many times we did this, but eventually it caught the attention of her parents. And her dad came out and he said, what are you girls doing? Because we just kept stepping in, sinking, and climbing back out. And stepping in and sinking and climbing back out. And we said, well, we had this story today at church about Jesus walking on water. And so we're trying to walk on water. What would you say if you were that parent? I don't remember exactly what he said, but God bless him. That is a hard question, and I think what he said was something along the lines of, you know, Jesus does miracles when we need it, and you probably don't need to walk on the pool right now. Um, I, don't really, I don't actually have a theological answer to the question of the faith of a child. I actually love the story because of the faith of a child, and I'm mystified by it because I don't know exactly why God works the way he works, but I did feel sorry for her dad once I was old enough to understand what position that put him in. So Jesus made them go ahead. They're having one of these times when he said, change directions. They're having this ministry time with all these people. He made them go ahead. And once they were in the boat, he dismissed the crowd. I don't know what he said to the crowd, but he dismissed the crowd. Go back to your homes. Go and live your own lives of courage. You've been following me. You've been touched by me. It's time to go. And then he went up, you know, a basket slew. <laughs> he went up on a mountain To pray by himself. And while he was praying by himself, the disciples are out in the boat that is buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So what was this night like for them? They were sailors, they were fishermen, they knew the lake. This doesn't say it was a terrible storm, but if you think of the wind and the rain of the last couple days, and that they're trying to keep the boat on course and it's a sailboat and the wind is against them, so you've got to kind of tack back and forth. and, And they've spent the whole night working hard and struggling with the waves and struggling with the weather. And it says that in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 a.m., so they've been going all night long in this struggle against the elements, when something that they have never, ever seen before, something that is not possible, something that is outside their realm of awareness or understanding, they have no frame of reference for it, there is this person. Coming across the top of the water, and that's not possible. So they actually make a very reasonable assumption, given the circumstances. (laughs) It's a ghost. They're terrified, and rightfully so. And Jesus, who demonstrates that he had the power over all creation, even the winds and the waves obey him, walks out to them, and he says, Take courage, it is I. Take courage, it is I when you and I face things in our life where we are sailing into the unknown and we are buffeted by the waves because the wind is against us and something rises up that is outside our frame of reference and we have no way of knowing how to deal with it or what to do about it, Jesus is present and he says, take courage, it is I. And like I said yesterday morning, courage is not something that you and I have to drill up from within us? I'm going to just... You know, the Bible talks about people summoning their courage, or, uh, and summon is the only word I can think of right now, but calling up their courage. Um, Jesus says, take courage. And I believe that that paints this beautiful picture of the tension we've already been talking about. He is giving us a gift. It's a gift that I cannot make happen. It's a gift that I can't create inside myself. It's a gift that I am not the initiator of. But it is a gift that I have an action to receive. There is something I must do in order to walk in the gift he wants to give me. I have to take it. And for those disciples, and especially for Peter, his take courage was to say, if it is you, then call me out on the water with you. And he got out of the boat. And we often fault Peter for looking at the waves and sinking, but for crying out loud, he got out of the boat. (laughs) It's about our progress. It's not about our perfect progress. And I love the picture that this paints for us. As Jesus says, take courage... And Peter does because Jesus is present. And then when he gets out in the storm and he notices how big the waves are, his doubt creeps in again and he starts to sink and he cries out to Jesus and Jesus rescues him. And lady, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of how you and I go home from a weekend like this. Because we are taking courage and we are, we are looking at these things and we're saying, yes, God, I believe that you're present and yes, I believe your promises and yes, I believe that you love me and I am taking courage and we're going to get in our cars and quite literally get out of the boat and go home. <laughs> and when we go home, we're going to be reminded of how big the waves are that we've been fighting all night, Right? And we're going to see him and we're going to notice and it's quite possible there's going to be some doubt that creeps in. And it's quite possible that we might find ourselves sinking in that familiar feeling of going underwater. And the difference isn't that we're not going to have this part of the cycle when we get home after a weekend like this. The difference is, will we cry out to Jesus and recognize that he is our refuge, he is our rescue, he is our rock, and he will lift us back up? And that our imperfect progress does not mean that we aren't making progress. That our imperfect way of walking in everyday courage doesn't mean that we are not courageous followers of Jesus Christ. That the places where we're stuck, that the places that we're holding out to Jesus and saying, I don't know what to do about this, those do not mean that we're not courageous. Those mean that we're human. And we haven't failed when our courage fails we have come up to the opportunity to cry out to Jesus. And the more that we do that, and the more that we recognize him at work, and the more that we see him entering in at our places of our risk, the more we have faith in the future to take that risk again. And it builds upon our experience, and it builds upon our knowledge of the character of God, and it builds upon the fact that we are students of his word, and we begin as we mature and grow through life to be able to walk with more and more and more courage because we have the experience of him meeting us each and every time we take a risk that he has called us to take. But it does not mean that we won't at times, like Peter, notice the waves and start to sink. But if when we start to sink, we spiral into self-condemnation, there I am again. I am so dumb. I am so stupid. I'm so cowardly. See there, I'm stuck in the same place as I was three years ago. Man, I'm just always going to be stuck here. Those are lies from the pit of hell, and they are lies that will suck you down under the water. The minute that you start to realize that you are sinking in the same ways that you have sunk in the past, you cry out to Jesus, and you receive his mercy, and you enter in to the tension and the cycle of courage and grace. You are not outside of Jesus Christ when you start to sink. You are only sucked down when you believe the lies of the enemy about who you are and allow that to pull you, pull you, pull you down. As soon as you notice that you have faltered, cry out to Jesus and let him lift you back up. As we wrap up, I want to say a couple things about going home. I said at the beginning of the weekend that one of the goals of this weekend is to fill your tank. All of us have a tank. We actually have an emotional tank, and a physical tank, and a spiritual tank. And when our physical tank is low, we can't think rationally about either of the other two because we're just too tired. And when our emotional tank is low, we can't think rationally about either of the other two because we just don't have the internal strength to, know, to be able to look at it clearly. And when our spiritual tank is low, we can't be rational about the other two. We, we need those three tanks to be staying level. And this weekend, hopefully, those three tanks have been addressed. Our emotional tank. We have laughed hard together. Hopefully, you have spent time with friends and met new friends. You've been out in creation, and that inevitably refills my emotional tank. There's this this hope and prayer that our emotional tanks have been filled, or at least increased. (laughs) There's the physical tank, that just getting away from the normal, and some of you didn't get more sleep this weekend than you usually do, but some of you did. (laughs) You actually got rest from being away from your normal duties in your normal place. Our physical tank. You might have to go home and rest to get that one filled up because sometimes retreats are just those late-night talking with the girls. And our spiritual tank, hopefully, by God's grace, has had a, a deposit into it this weekend. But if all we did as a ministry of women's ministries at Salem Alliance was say, hey, come once a year and fill your tank, this retreat would not really be a worthy event of pulling off, even though it's a great weekend to fill our tank but the goal and the hope is that you have caught some nuggets for how to fill these tanks when you are back home. So what has filled you this weekend? Has it been the times of solitude and reflection when you allowed God to bring up some of those things that he needed to show you? What if you scheduled some of those things into your world? What if you took a once a month and said, I'm blocking out this afternoon and I'm not going to plan anything, do anything. I'm going to take time to be quiet. And that might mean a walk. That might mean a chair by a fire. But I'm going to practice what I learned this weekend about the fact that God can speak to me and I can get my spiritual, emotional, and physical tank filled when I will stop and be quiet and allow him to speak. Has it been the worship that has filled your tank this weekend that you just have loved worshiping in the presence of others? Um, That happens on a weekly basis at Salem Alliance and the weekend worship services. It also happens on a monthly basis at the gathering where we get together as women to worship, to receive teaching, and to talk. Actually, the gathering is a great thing. If you haven't tried it yet, it's where we're trying to make this accessible to those who can't come away to Cannon Beach and pay $200 and make it accessible more than once a year. So it's an hour and a half. It's different than this, but it's what we're trying to do to bring this community to a regular, routine place. Has it been laughter and time with friends? Some of us just need to be intentional about inviting the people we already have in our life over to spend time with them. We just get so busy, we don't do it. What are the things that have filled up your tank? Sleep, creation, fellowship, connecting with God. Be intentional about scheduling those things into your life, knowing that when we live as if we don't have needs, we are denying that there is a God and that we need him we need to pay attention to when we're depleted and know what fills us up and make time for those because otherwise we have nothing to give to the people around us. I am not functioning well when I'm functioning on empty. And it doesn't make any sense to say, well, my kids need me, I need to be home because I'm their mom if I'm functioning on empty because I'm not functioning well. I need to know how do I replenish and how do I get these three tanks filled so that I can be a good mom, so that I can be an engaged and a present mom. And sometimes we need to take care of ourselves. So some tips on going home. Do we believe that God is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he will do, and that he is the one who holds the keys to the things that we've bumped into this weekend? Into the things that we will bump into when we go from this place. When you arrived, you had a card on your bed. It said, This is my command be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Ladies, take courage.